Would you remain standing in honor of God's word as we go to the text from which my assignment in our new series, our new series is called Double Blessing. Of course, this is our series we are doing leading up to our special offering on November the 20th. And so be prepared to bring your best that day. Aren't you glad to see all the wonderful things that we've did, we've done throughout the course of the year because of your generosity? Amen. God bless all of you for being faithful in that area. Let's continue to do good things. November 20th, we bring our best above and beyond. And so we're talking about this series, Double Blessing, and our scripture comes from Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 22. The Bible says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And then in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 says, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name is no longer or shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Today in our series, Double Blessing, I want to talk to you about the blessing of the Lord in your life. The blessing of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and your power and most of all, your Holy Spirit to every single person here at all of our locations and under the sound of my voice. We pray that we would be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we embark upon this series, I think it's important for us to to know, first of all, what is the blessing of the Lord? What is the blessing of the Lord? Well, simply put, it means divine empowerment to prosper in every area of your life. Not just certain areas, not just financial areas, as one of our opening texts says, indeed, in our finances, but not limited to our finances. Matter of fact, all throughout the Bible, we're told this, perhaps one of the greatest places is in Deuteronomy chapter number 28. It's called the Mount Gerasim blessing, and it teaches us that the blessing of the Lord covers six areas, and by the way, six is the number of man, so God has got us fully covered, six areas of blessing in our lives, our relationships. The blessing of the Lord is divine empowerment to prosper in every relationship in our lives, in our marriage, in our relationship with our kids, in our friendships, in our work relationships, with our boss, with our co-workers, and any other relationship that we have, even our relationship with our enemies. Proverbs 16, verse number 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The blessing of the Lord, divine empowerment to prosper in every area of our lives on our occupation. 
The Bible says over and over again that God will bless everything that we set our hand to. That is our work. That is our occupation. It tells us that we'll be blessed in our finances. Scripture talks about our barns and our vats bursting out with new wine. Talking about God given to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. And so that's talking about our finances, divine ability or empowerment to prosper in every area of our life. In our emotions, Scripture promises that we will be full of joy. Matter of fact, joy unspeakable and full of glory. It says that we'll be full of peace, a peace that passes all understanding. That is divine empowerment to prosper in our emotions. It tells us that the generations that come from us will be blessed. Scripture says our children and our children's children shall be blessed. And then the last area and perhaps the most important area, it says that we'll have divine empowerment to prosper spiritually. Every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means our relationship with our Father is blessed, that our prayer life is blessed, that our praise is blessed. It means that righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost are ours. It means that we've been justified by His blood. It means we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need and find grace and mercy to help. It means we have an advocate with the Father that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It means the Holy Spirit's living on the inside of us. It means that we have been redeemed, snatched out of hell on our way to heaven. It means that the angels of God are encamped around us. It means His grace has been poured out in our life. It means His mercies are new every morning in our life. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. When the Bible talks about the blessing of the Lord, it literally means divine empowerment to prosper in every single area of your life. That's what God wants for you. And so I don't know about you, but I need that in my life. I realize that that unless I have that on my life, my life is not what God wants it to be. And so the blessing of the Lord is something everybody needs. But the blessing of the Lord, like most blessings in the Bible, is a spoken blessing or a declaration. Matter of fact, the word blessing comes from the Hebrew word barak, and barak means benediction. And you all know that when you gather in an assembly, and specifically in churches, but in other areas, people will at the end, the priest or the pastor or whatever, will pronounce a benediction. And that is basically good spoken words. That's literally what benediction means. And so um, we see all throughout the Bible that this is how the blessing of the Lord is given. Matter of fact, one of the best known blessings in, in the Bible is the Aaronic blessing or the priestly blessing. And this is the blessing that God instructed the high priest Aaron to speak over the children of Israel while they were wandering in the desert. And I just thought about this and I thought, as we're wandering in life, as we feel lost or as we feel unanchored, I bet you our high priest Jesus is speaking blessing over our life. That's good to know because when God speaks a blessing on your life, you're going to see it. Nothing can stop or withhold that blessing from happening. And so here is the ironic blessing. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, verse number 24. And you know it. You've heard it before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. 
The word blessing, a spoken blessing, comes from the word barak. Again, it means spoken words. Six shades of meaning in the word barak. So whenever a high priest would speak this blessing, it was understood to cover six things. Number one, it was a salute. In other words, the blessing of the Lord must be respected and not taken for granted. Sometimes we think, well, just because we're believers, just because we love Jesus, you know, we can do whatever we want, and the blessing of the Lord is going to come on our life. We're going to see in this series that there's a way to stay under the blessing umbrella of the Lord. We have to respect it. But then secondly, the word Barak means to kneel down. In other words, the blessing of the Lord must be received with humility. We have to understand that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It also confers or means to kiss on the mouth. And I know when we hear that in our day and age and in our culture, because we have been so conditioned to sexual fornication and things of that nature, that it loses its meaning. But but in biblical times, it was a representative of a father's love. And, and matter of fact, what I find interesting is what God meant to be a blessing is what the devil used to betray Jesus. Judas betrayed him with what? A kiss. Right? So it meant that. Then number four, it also meant peace or God's peace be upon you. And then number five, it meant live long and prosper. So whenever the priest would pronounce that blessing, everybody understood the priest is telling us on behalf of God to live long and to prosper. By the way, I know we live in a day and age where we see a lot of things happen around us all the time. But I want you to know that one of the promises in the word of God is for you to live a long life. Matter of fact, Psalm 91 says, with long life, he'll satisfy you and show you his salvation. And we know we read it before. We read it in our opening text. God wants us to prosper also. 3 John 2 says, beloved, I wish above all things. John was writing this to Gaius, right? But in the Bible, it's as if God is speaking speaking it to us. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And then the sixth shade of meaning of this word barak or blessing meant to speak words of excellence about. And this was the essence of the ironic blessing. It was a declaration of words that enacted God's blessing or his divine empowerment to prosper. It would come upon all of those who this blessing was spoken over. Again, I think it's interesting that God uses his words to bless us. The scripture says that he rejoices over us with singing. But yet the enemy of our soul, the devil, is called the accuser of the brethren. What does he try to do? He tries to put curses on us with his words, right? Accuser of the brethren. Tries to bring up our past. Tries to get us to live in shame. Tries to get us to live in condemnation. In our mind, he speaks to our head and we hear all of these shortcomings that we have. And he tries us to, to get us to live underneath a curse when God uses his words in order for us to live underneath a blessing. And Proverbs 18.21 tells us, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The devil knows this and God knows this. What about you? Do you know that there's power in the spoken word of God? And so the blessing of the Lord is something that God declares over our life. But then number three, the power of God's spoken blessing over our lives is a game changer. So many times in life, 
Life is going in the wrong direction. And what we need is we need to begin to walk under the blessing of God over our life. Let's go back to Jacob's story and look at how Jacob's life was changed because he received the blessing of the Lord. It was a game changer in his life. Jacob was one of two twin boys um, born to Isaac and Rebekah. And when Rebecca gave birth to Jacob, Jacob came out holding the heel of his brother Esau as if even in the womb he was vying to come out first. And the reason for that was in Bible times, the birth position carried with it a significant blessing. So it almost seems like right from the womb, he was vying to be first. And when his parents saw this, they named him appropriately Jacob. And Jacob literally means somebody who is a supplanter or somebody who is a struggler. And and that was probably not a good name to give to their child because, again, in biblical times, a name was a declaration over the child's life. And so anytime he heard Jacob, they were prophesying that you are going to struggle. They were prophesying that you are going to be a supplanter over his, over his life. And his whole life followed exactly that prophetic utterance over his life. He struggled for his father's affection. Isaac loved Esau because Esau was a man's man. Uh, he wore plaid shirts, and they were probably unpressed. He loved guns and bow and arrows. He loved to hunt and fish. Uh, he was really hairy, by the way. And his favorite show was probably Duck Dynasty. I could see him. He probably had that, that long, hairy Duck Dynasty beard. He probably had the hair coming up out of his plaid chest, from his out of his plaid shirt from his chest. You know, he probably had to shave his back. I mean, he was hairy. For all you hairy guys out there, this is your patron saint right here, Esau. He was really Harry, right? And his father loved him because he was a, he was a man's man. Jacob, on the other hand, according to the Bible, he loved to stay in and around the tent. That's code for he was a mama's boy, you know? I mean, his mama put out his clothes for him and, you know, he was always finely dressed and his hair was perfectly coiffed and he even loved to cook. And so his mother loved him more than she loved Esau, but the father loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. And so his life was about struggling for his father's affection. Then, of course, the epic struggle the, the, in the whole story where he, he, he steals his brother's birthright with the help of his mother. And you remember the story? He, Esau goes out to hunt. And Jacob and his mother, they kind of conspire together because, because Isaac, their father, his eyes were growing dim and he couldn't see. And so the mother said, go get you some animal skins in and put them all over yourself so that when you go before your father and he reaches out to touch you, he'll feel the hairiness of the animal skins and he'll think that you're, that you're Esau and he'll pronounce the blessing of the firstborn on you. And sure enough, he goes in there, he steals the birth right. And as uh, as Isaac is praying over Jacob, suddenly Esau walks in and he sees what his brother had done, that he stole the birthright. And suddenly he wants to kill his brother. And so Jacob has to go off on the run and he struggles in his family. But then he goes and he moves into another city in another town. And there again, he struggles. He struggles with his father-in-law. 
to get his father-in-law to give him the hand of one of his daughters in marriage. His father-in-law's name was Laban. And Laban had two sons. One was uh, Leah and the other was Raquel. Or Rachel, as some say. And, and, and Leah was the ugly duckling. I mean, nobody wanted to marry her, but, but Raquel was beautiful and everybody, and Jacob was like, that's the one for me. And so he had to work hard and, and pay, pay a price. And then finally he thought he was going to get the hand of Rachel in marriage. And sure enough, his father-in-law said, no, you got to marry Leah first. And then he had to work some more years and finally he got the hand of Rachel in marriage. And then he starts to have problems in his house because of the two sister wives. First was in the Bible before it was a show on TV, by the way. And so he's struggling in his house between his wives. And, 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 and then not only does he struggle there, but then he struggles with his brother-in-laws because as he's living, Underneath the household of Laban, he begins to get really, really rich. And, and Laban's sons and extended family think this guy was a mooch. He got, he got wealthy off of, off of all of our stuff and they don't like him. And so he has to run again. And now he's got nowhere to go and he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to reconcile with my family and with my brother. And what I'm going to do first is I'm going to send some gifts on ahead. Out of all the wealth that I have off of, you know, Laban's family, now I'm going to send some gifts on. So he sends his servants ahead of him with some gifts for Esau, thinking the gifts will soften his heart. And it's been a long time and Esau will just forgive him. And the servants come back and they say, Esau's coming out to meet you. And he's got 400 armed men with him. And the Bible says, is that Jacob is scared and so he comes up with a plan. His plan is to send half of his family this way and half of his family that way, figuring that if Esau attacks, he'll only kill half the family. And then he spends the night by a river all by himself. And guess what happens when he's all by himself? God enters the conflict. God enters the cursed condition of Jacob's life. See, Jacob was living underneath a curse because Jacob was the one from whom the Messiah would come. And so whatever God tries to bless, what does the enemy do? He tries to curse. Matter of fact, when you look at people who look like their life is not working, it could be because God has hand selected them for a divine plan. So never stand in judgment of what's going on in their life. So God enters this conflict. He enters into the struggling, supplanting life of Jacob. And let me just push the pause button and say this. This is the story of redemption. God enters our cursed condition where God interrupts the intention of the enemy to send our sin-soaked souls to hell and he redeems us from the curse of the law which is spiritual death and separation from God for all of eternity where God himself becomes a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham, the blessing to prosper in every area of life can come on us through Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God entered our story. I'm glad God entered our conflict. I'm glad you and I are no longer sentenced to an eternity apart from him, but because of Jesus, you and I get to spend eternity in heaven. That's the story of redemption. And I love how God did it. 
He used the rock and the hard place that Jacob found himself in to enter into Jacob's cursed condition. He used his circumstances of having nowhere to go to enter into Jacob's cursed condition. I'm glad God doesn't give up on us when we have no one or nowhere to turn to. I'm glad he enters our condition. Matter of fact, the story says that he entered Jacob's cursed condition when he was alone. Genesis 32, verse 24, again, then Jacob was left alone. He was by himself, and in the solitude of loneliness, God showed up. I know there are a lot of things that enter our lives in those lonely moments. Crazy thoughts, depression, anxiety, feeling like what are we going to do, and destructive voices, and mind-numbing depression, and paralyzing fear. I know a lot of things show up in our loneliness, but you know what else I know shows up in our loneliness? God. If you're lonely, if you're feeling by yourself, guess what? Expect a visitation from the Lord because the Lord sees and the Lord cares and the Lord wants to intervene. Matter of fact, that's exactly what happens when he's by himself. Look at what the Bible says. It says, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him there until the breaking of the dawn. Well, pastor, that says a man, but it doesn't say God. But listen to Hosea. It says this, before Jacob was born, He struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. This was God showing up in the middle of his situation. And what ensues is a wrestling match between the curse that was pronounced over Jacob's life and the blessing that God had destined for Jacob's life. The curse had got a hold of Jacob so much that he struggles all night with God. Has anything ever had such a hold on your life that you struggled for a minute with God about it? It's grabbed you. And you're like, yeah, God, I I know I got to get rid of this, but, you know, just just a little bit more. God, I know I got to put my my spouse first in my marriage, but, you know, they nag me too much or or, or they don't really speak kindly to me. Well, God, I know that I've got to put you first in my finances, but but the first thing I got to do is I got to get all my wants and all my needs met. And then when I got some leftover, God, I'll give it to you. Or, or God, I know I got to kick this alcohol, but you know what? Just one more drink. Or God, I got to, you know, I know I, this, this, these drugs, they're ruining my life, but, but you know, just, just one more day, God, one more. More fix, one more look, one more. Has anything ever grabbed a hold of your life so strongly that you fought with God and God is saying, give it to me and give it to me and give it to me, but you're wrestling because you don't want God to take that thing away. He was gripped by what the enemy was using to keep him bound that he wouldn't even give it to God. He's wrestling with God and Esau's closing in. Esau represents the consequences of the curse. It'll kill you. You see, the enemy will try to keep you doing the wrong things long enough to bring death into your life, death into your marriage, death into your circumstances. Because the enemy doesn't come to give you fun. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Time is running out. Dawn was about to break, and Esau was about ready to pounce. But how many of you know God loves to show up when time is running out? 
And the Bible says that it was the breaking of the day. And at the breaking of the day there, he wrestled with God. The enemy was stepping in for the kill, but God had entered the conflict. I don't know if you can relate, but some of you can say, you know what? Should have been dead, but God entered the conflict. Marriage should have been over, but God entered the conflict. Kids should have been distant, but God entered the conflict. Should have went under, but God entered the conflict. Should have lost my mind, but God entered the conflict. I'm glad that when time is running out, God enters the conflict. And when he saw, look what it says, and when he saw that he could not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. God saw that Jacob would not stop struggling and supplanting even when he was running out of time. It always amazes me. How no matter how bad the consequences get, some people will continue to struggle with God. And God said, I've got to break this off of you with one touch. I've tried to get you to give it to me for a minute, but you wouldn't give it up. So I've got to touch you in such a way as to break it off of you. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I want to remind you that one touch from God can break off of you whatever has been bringing a curse into your life. One touch from God can break that addiction off of you. One touch from God can turn your marriage around. One touch from God can cause you to be loosed of your circumstance. And God said, I ain't got time to play. Let me touch you and take this thing that's about to kill you off of you. By the way, do you know the ultimate touch that broke the curse from our life? It happened on Calvary over 2,000 years ago where God the Father touched God the Son with all his fury, where God the Father touched God the Son with the weight of the world's sin, where God the Father touched God the Son with the judgment of the world. And when he touched him, the curse came on him so that the blessing of God, the empowerment to prosper in every area of our life could come on us. Thank you, Jesus, that you took the touch that broke all that stuff off of our life. The touch of God in our lives. It was broken. And after that touch, Jacob was changed. He went from wrestling with God to surrendering with God. Look at it with me. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, listen to what Jacob said. He said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I know what this seems like. It seems like he's still struggling. But the fact of the matter is he's surrendering. He's not struggling. Notice again the words and understand what Jacob is asking here. He said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. In other words, okay, I've tried this my entire life, getting blessed my own way. I tried to steal and get blessed. I try to make it on the coattails of my father-in-law to get blessed. I try to marry who I wanted to marry instead of getting the all clear from God. I tried everything to get it to work my way, and my way produced some wealth, but it also produced some struggle. But God, there is a way for me to be blessed and to have no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, but adds no sorrow to it. And he's saying this, he's saying, okay, God, before I let you go, what I need you to do is I need you to put your blessing on me to reverse this curse that has been on my life. The blessing of the Lord is that powerful. What it does is it 
breaks off of us. Everything that we've struggled so long in life to see turn around. God wants to put his blessing on you, his empowerment to prosper on you in every area of your life. People should look at you and say, why can't I keep you down? Blessed. Why do you keep getting good breaks? Blessed. Why does it seem like you always have joy? Blessed. Why aren't you frazzled by the surrounding circumstances? Blessed. Why does it seem like you always have a positive outlook? Blessed. Why is it that if something hits you uh, from left field somewhere, it doesn't knock you off of your rocker in life? Blessed. Why is it that you hit it out of the park all the time? Blessed. Why is it that your marriage? Blessed. Why is it that your kids? Blessed. 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 It's not bragging on ourselves. It's bragging on God. God is that good that when his blessing is on your life your life goes in a different direction the blessing of the Lord means that God's name is on you notice again he said your name shall no longer be called Jacob but it shall be called Israel because you have struggled with God and men and prevailed Israel means triumphant with God it means prince of God in other words God says you lived your whole life being something that I never designed you to be, a struggler and a supplanter. Let me hit the pause button. I want to just declare some good news over some of you. If you've lived your whole life up to this point, being something that God has never designed you to be, God wants to change that. God wants to put his blessing on your life. He wants to put his name on you. What he was saying to, 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 to Jacob when he changed his name to Israel is he's saying, I'm putting my name on you. I'm giving you a different identity. I've got a di- different direction for you. From now on, you'll live underneath the blessing or live up to the blessing of your new name and not what was pronounced over you ignorantly by your parents. And here's God's word to some of you right now who are living underneath something less than God's blessing. You may call yourself a failure, but God calls you a success. You may call yourself angry, God calls you full of joy. You may call yourself selfish, God calls you generous. You may call yourself an addict, God calls you an overcomer. You may call yourself a sinner, but God calls you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You may call yourself unwanted, but God says you're the apple of his eye. You may think you're unworthy, but God says that you're highly favored. You call yourself broke, God says you're rich. You call yourself a loser, God says you're a late bloomer. God wants to put his name on you and change the direct trajectory of your life. That's what it means to have the blessing of God on your life. Remember the ironic blessing. Nobody ever quotes this portion of it. They stop at and give you peace. But there's another verse to it. It says, so shall they put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Let me tell you a little story about that really kind of captures what it means, the power of a name. When Diana Nyad, you may have heard of her, and I'll tell you who she was in a minute. She was nine years old. She stood on the beach in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. She asked her mom an innocent question. Where's Cuba? Her mom pointed and said, right over there. You can't see it, but it's so close that you could almost swim there. 20 years later in 1978, Diana Nyad would attempt to swim from Cuba to Florida She swam 78 miles in 42 hours, but strong winds stopped her short of her goal. 
The dream of becoming the first person to swim across the Straits of Florida would lie dormant for almost three decades. At the age of 60, Diana figured it was now or never. Her second attempt failed because she was stung by two Portuguese man-of-wars, and her fourth attempt ended with jellyfish stings. Then on the morning of August 31st, 2013, Diana would make one last attempt. Almost 53 hours and 110 miles later, Diana and I had swam ashore in Key West. Her tongue was terribly swollen, but she managed three messages. One, we should never, ever, ever give up. Two, you are never too old to trace your, to chase your dream. And three, it looks like a solitary sport, but it takes a team. She had a team of 35 people. Doctors, meteorologists, family and friends. She would not have fulfilled her destiny without a team. How did Diana and I add do what no one else had done before? I don't want to simplify motivation because motivation can be complex. But I believe there was one event in Diana Nyad's life that changed the trajectory of her life. When she was five years old, her father, Aristotle Nyad, called her and he said, Honey, I've been waiting for this day for a long, long time. Now you're five. Today is the day you are ready to understand the most significant thing that I will ever tell you. Aristotle opened up an unabridged dictionary on his decks and he pointed to our name. He said, tomorrow you'll go to your little preschool and you'll ask your little friends if their names are in a dictionary and they will tell you no. You are the only one. You, darling, are the special one. Then Aristotle pointed to the page and said, your name is Nyad. First definition in his heavy, thick Greek accent. First definition from Greek mythology. The nymphs that swam in the lakes, oceans, rivers, and fountains to protect the waters for the gods. By the way, not a great thing to name your kids after. But But then he said this. He said, listen to me, darling, because now is coming the most important part. Next definition. A girl or a woman who is a championship swimmer. Darling, that is your destiny. Diana was able to do what no one else had done before because Aristotle Nyad put his name on her. Can I tell you something? God put his name on you. The Bible says, and they were first called Christians at Antioch. What does that mean? It means Christ-like ones. It means that God has put his name on us. And so when we give our life to Jesus and understand that we bear the name of God, there is inheritance and there is birthright that comes on our life and suddenly we don't get to live underneath the old umbrella or whatever the world has stigmatized us with or whatever has been handed down to us from generations. But now we give up, now we're able to live up to the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and everything that God's name means that is your destiny and so in the Bible his name means provider you know what that means that you should never go a day of your life with lack in the Bible his name means healer do you know what that means you should live in divine health 
In the Bible, his name means victor. Here's what that means. Your destiny through every battle is to hold up a banner of victory. In the Bible, his name means peace. That means in every circumstance, there is supposed to be a peace that passes all understanding on your life. His name means shepherd. It means that you are never alone in life, but that he is following you everywhere that you go. And that goodness and mercy are chasing you down. His name in the Bible means Lord. That means it is your destiny to rule and reign over every situation. His name means deliverer. That means out of every trial, you are supposed to come out triumphant. He's put his name on you. You are blessed. Blessed. Listen to what the Bible says. Blessed coming, blessed going. It says you're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the field. You're blessed in your rising up and you're blessed in your lying down. You're blessed in your marriage and in your family. You're blessed in your storehouses and in your barns. You're blessed in your mind and your emotions. You're blessed in whatever you set your hand to do. Why? God put his divine empowerment to prosper on your life. It is the key to experiencing the life that God has called each and every person to live. To realize you're blessed. And then to walk underneath the umbrella of that blessing. Next week I'm going to show you how. How do I walk underneath this blessing? I know God has blessed me. Okay, pastor, I see it. It's there in the scripture. But how do I, how do I walk underneath this blessing? Would you stand on your feet? blessing of the Lord divine empowerment to prosper in every area of our lives the most important of which is spiritually the greatest blessing that God wants to put on your life is the blessing of eternal life God wants to take away the consequences of sin eternal consequences for sin over your life which is separation from God And he wants to give you the greatest blessing, which is eternal salvation through Christ Jesus. But here's what he said. You must surrender. You must, Barak, salute. You must receive it with respect and and honor. And that means that you have to bow your knee to Jesus. The blessing of God of eternal salvation doesn't automatically come on people. It comes on people when they make a decision to repent of their sin. Remember this. Remember I told you this last week. Repentance required. You don't get right with God saying, well, you know, I believe in God, but I'm going to still live any old way I want to live. Repentance required. God, I realize the evil of sin. I realize that sin separates me from you. And today, I come to you. I bow my knee. I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And God says, okay, now I give you eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never done that, you've never repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus today,
God wants to give you the greatest blessing, the blessing of all blessings, a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. With no one looking around if that you and say, Pastor, today, I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. Right where you are, just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Hold it up high. I won't embarrass you. God bless you over here. That's awesome. God bless you over there. That's awesome. I surrender to you in every way. One more time, not because I want more hands, but because I want to make sure everybody has the opportunity. Anybody, God bless you over there. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in this prayer. And I want everybody to say this out loud. If you're at one of our locations, if you're at home and you feel like the Holy Spirit is touching your life right now, you say this prayer too. Say it out loud with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. As I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen.